Good morning, everyone. And uh, it is great to be here, and what a special privilege to be here uh, for this occasion. And uh, I know we had to make some uh, date adjustments to allow me to get here, and I, th I very, very much appreciate that. So it's a great privilege. Um, what Dave just walked through in terms of the process of ordination, uh, nicely done, and it is a significant moment. Um, this is kind of the bar exam of someone like uh, Pastor Allen. Uh, this is a moment when they uh, clearly articulate uh, in front of their peers in particular um, in an examination uh, context. Uh, this was not a given. This was something that uh, uh, could be, uh, had a different, different outcome. And I've been part of those ordination councils where they did have an in, a, a different outcome. And so it was serious. And uh, unfortunately, I wasn't able to make the examining council. Uh, I kind of warned them that if I had, things might have turned out differently, but uh, not really. Um, but uh, from what I've heard, I understand that. Uh, and, and there's two things that they're after. Uh, they're after orthodoxy and uh, the, the truthfulness and orthodoxy according to the Christian faith and, and biblical, biblical truth, but they're also after competence and competence in handling the scriptures and competence in handling questions and, and that kind of thing. And uh, um, from every report, and I'm not surprised, he did very, very well in both of those. The nature of pastoral ministry and the nature of the church is in crisis. It's in a crisis mode. At one time, the pastor was viewed as the Lord's anointed. And back in my father's day, it was touch not the Lord's anointed. But fortunately, we have come to realize that that's not the case. And that was a phrase reserved for Old Testament priests and prophets and kings. And ultimately fulfilled in Jesus of Nazareth. But now, we've moved into other issues. One of which is the moral and ethical failure of so many pastors. And the latest one just announced this week. And the moral and ethical failure of pastors is horrifically destructive and devastating to the church and the mission of the gospel. But another issue that has created a crisis in the church and in pastoral ministry is that pastoral ministry and the church's understanding of pastoral ministry has changed. And it has moved to something along the line of CEO. When the biblical model of pastoring and leading a church is a model of shepherd. We have a trend in our 21st century churches to view the pastor as some kind of CEO or leader of a corporation or some kind of corporate organization. And those of us who move around the conferences and the uh, conventions of various organizations, denominations, even our own, it just seems that all the workshops and seminars that we attend are all about leadership, leadership. 
Everything rises and falls on leadership has come to almost a biblical level of understanding, which, by the way, it's not in the Bible. And we're seeing in our churches that the church is about ecclesiastical business, that our task as pastor and church is to provide religious goods and services to the Christian consumer. And that the pastor, locked into corporate governance structures, has, has his success measured by the metrics of financial and numerical growth. And somewhere along the line, the church as the body of Christ, a community of believers, the bride of Christ, the temple of the Holy Spirit, and the family of God, a family of relationships, of love and kinship, somewhere along the line, all of this has gotten lost. In fact, one popular writer and preacher said that the picture of the church as family is one of the most destructive pictures of church in our time. And somewhere along the way, the pastor as a shepherd caring for his sheep a servant who is meek and lowly and armed with a basin and a towel has also gotten lost. Another pa uh, popular pastor and preacher said that the, that the picture of pastor as shepherd needs to be abandoned because nobody ever touches a sheep anymore. And I have to confess, I'm struggling trying to separate the word pastor and shepherd since I understand that the words mean the same thing. And then somewhere along the way, the concept that elders and deacons who were chosen in my mind and seems biblically to bring wisdom and spiritual guidance were called to be servants. People of character according to the articulations that we find in the books of Timothy and Titus. Prayer was to be at the heart of their ministry, which, by the way, thank you, elders, for that time of prayer that we so enjoyed before this service happened. Such a rich and powerful time. God bless you for that. But somehow, in some way, in so many churches of the 21st century, so much of this is, is, is becoming lost. Elders whose qualifications included an intense and deep knowledge and the ability to teach Scripture as a core qualification of elders. Somehow all of this has, slept off, has slipped off the computer screen and has defaulted, defaulted into words like governance and directors and accountability performance reviews and metrics of measurement. And somehow everything has moved to running an ecclesiastical business, efficiency and performance, driven by consultants and marketing strategies, and satisfying customer and consumer demands in dispensing spiritual goods and services. And I'm dead serious about this. 
We're seeing it everywhere. And thank God that I don't see it here. But we're in a crisis. And we need to talk about it. The church is in crisis and understanding itself. Church leadership is in crisis and understanding what they're supposed to do and be. Pastors are in crisis because we're losing our identity and being called to go in directions that we were never called or equipped to go. I remember one time I, I, I gave a workshop, a seminar to a group of pastors. I think it was a regional or it was, no, it was a, uh, an, uh, an association meeting somewhere. And I gave this talk to a group of pastors and I, I entitled it, Pastor as Shepherd, Recovering the Metaphor. And the single and unanimous response, email after email came in after that presentation with one word, thank you. Finally, someone is saying what we took on this calling to be and to do. And as pastors, as Pastor Allen and others among us, we took on this calling as pastors because we believed in the calling to be shepherds of God's people and to embrace that metaphor and all that it was intended to be. But in the last 10 to 15 years, as I've moved around the church and moved around different contexts and taught pastoral theology at the seminary, everything I'm reading is all about this CEO mentality and leaders and be visionaries and motivators for church growth and numbers and money. And so on the occasion of your pastor's ordination, I want to ask the question, what does a biblical model of pastor and church ministry look like? What is the task of pastoring? Can it be said in a succinct and biblical way? And what do we as the church need to understand and expect from our pastors and our leaders? One of those helpful presentations in an approach to ministry in the pastoral spirit is the life of the Apostle Paul. And, I, and I, so I want you to come with me. I want you to come to the, to, the, to the letter that he wrote to the Thessalonian church in 1 Thessalonians. So the first letter to the Thessalonian church, and he talks about his own ministry and in particular the pastoral spirit that he brought to his ministry. So if you have a Bible or you've got your phone or whatever you've got, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And I'm going to read a passage. It's 12 verses long, but I think that it's worth reading the actual text. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and I'm going to read verses 1 to 12. Hear the word of the Lord. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. 
On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know we never use flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people or from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. And yes, the Apostle Paul did have a unique place in the that pastors do not have today. All the apostles are gone. They were all gone by the end of the first century. Instead, we were like young children among you, and just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, that our our toil and hardship, we work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. And you are witnesses, and so is God, how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with you, each of you, as a father deals with his own children, encouraging comforting and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. This is the word of God. Now we need to be careful here, and I made that little, a little caveat. We are talking about the Apostle Paul. He had privileges that the rest of us don't. The apostles were unique in the world. They had the power of of life and death. They held the keys to the kingdom. They could forgive or not forgive sins, John 20. And they were all gone by the end of the first century. So we got to be really careful. A pastor is not an apostle. An apostle is not a pastor. We don't want to make that connection. But we find in this passage the spirit of Paul's apostolic ministry, which I think informs any of us who would be called to lead the church. And I see three brilliant metaphors here. And I think they are metaphors that need to be burned into the hearts and minds and hands and feet feet of, of any elder, pastor, deacon, church leader. Three pictures that need to be understood by you as a congregation. And so shape your expectations around what your pastor is all about. And perhaps stop looking for the wrong things from your pastor and elders. So let's look, and I, I'm going to identify myself as part of the guild, so I'm going to use the word, I'm going to use the pronoun we. So the first thing that we see, the first metaphor that we pick up as we read through this passage is, as pastors and church leaders, we must understand that we have been called to be faithful stewards. The key phrase here is in verse On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. Paul understood clearly that he possessed something that was not his. The gospel was not owned by the Apostle Paul or any of the other apostles. He had no claim, no right, no no power to control or change or manipulate or adjust or shape. Even as an apostle with all the unique powers and rights that they had, they had an entrustment. An entrustment from God. And the gospel is owned by God. 
It is formed by God. It is a possession of God. And we are stewards of that gospel. This has several implications. And the first one is this, that if we're going to be stewards of the gospel, to be entrusted with something that we don't own, we must have an intimate connection with the owner and master of that gospel, God himself. One of the most powerful realities of what it is to be engaged in pastoral ministry in this kind of capacity of being steward of something we don't own is to know the master's mind as much as we possibly can. And Pastor Allen, all the other pastors that are among us, and even God's people in general, as we are all, in one sense, stewards of a gospel, we do not own it. It belongs to God. It demands an intense intimacy with the master. And this, in turn, demands time alone with God, deep immersion in his message, a careful listening to his voice, both by the whispers of the Holy Spirit and by reflective and meditative study on his written word, the sacred scriptures. So we are talking about a pastor who practices the spiritual disciplines of, of prayer with all its forms and structures, including reading the book of Psalms and the book of Job. I'll never forget someone telling me the story. They were on a pastoral team. He was sitting at his desk, reading and praying the scriptures. And his lead pastor walked by, asked him what he was doing. He says, well, I'm reading and praying. I'm just I'm meditating on the scriptures. And the lead pastor said, no, 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 no. You don't do that on church time. You do that at home on your own time. That's brutal. Just brutal. Part of the task of a pastor is to be immersed in prayer and thought and careful reflection, reading scripture, simply trying to immerse themselves in the text so that somehow out of that text there is this overflow of the power and grace of God and out of that overflow we minister to others who God has put, made, uh, given us a privilege of serving in that way. In prayer, in scripture, and Alan, you've heard me say it many times, every time you crack the book, you're face to face with God. Reflective silence and meditation, Eugene Peterson called it the sacred art of wasting time. A simply quiet, reflecting, going for a walk, just simply reflecting and thinking. Sabbath keeping. Oh my, how we've got to learn to realize that we are wired in a six colon one as image bearers of God where we, no, no, we're not locked into the form, get it. But somehow in some way that function of Sabbath keeping is part of the intensity lives, reading and study, dealing, reflecting on, on, on community, community of interpreters, reading the commentaries, understanding what others have said about the text that we're dealing with so that we do not speak alone, but we recognize that we're part of a larger community as we speak and think and reflect and preach. 
And Alan, let's get our work, places where we work back to the term study rather than office. We're not CEOs, Alan, Pastor Alan. We're pastors. And our places where we work need to be called our studies. If we're going to be faithful stewards of the gospel, intimacy with the master and owner of the gospel is part of the core of what we must be. Secondly, we must understand what the gospel is. And John, John 3.16, by all means, stands at the core. But it is more than that. It is a celebration that God's kingdom has arrived and that we can be part of it and we can invite all kinds of people to be part of this thing called the kingdom of God with Jesus Christ as our king, the one that we've just sung about. We have to understand what the gospel is and be passionate and excited about that. And there's one more, and it's not on the PowerPoint because <laughs> I was going over this again last night. And I came up with another one, so it's not on the PowerPoint. But another part of what it is to be a steward of the gospel is that we must be committed to the historical truths of the church. You and I are new on this, Alan. We're not the, we're not the first, we're not the last. We have, we have built on the shoulders of others, and we are to, responsible to lay, to lay a, a solid foundation from others who will build on top of ours. And the, and the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 3 had some really, really dangerous things to say to you and me and others like us on how we build on the apostolic foundation. Some of the most frightening verses are found in 1 Corinthians 3 for people like us. So we have an accountability. We have an accountability to the church and the history of the church. We have accountability to, to our own local churches. We are not autonomous. We are not the Lord's anointed that was fulfilled in Jesus. And it is the church that calls us to account theologically, morally, and ethically. So in this first picture, Paul points us and the Thessalonian, the Thessalonian church then and us now that we are to be stewards of an entrustment. That entrustment of the gospel. We need to be deeply connected with the master we need to be deeply informed as the message of what that gospel is, the message of the gospel, and we need to understand our responsibility to the church at large. But he goes on to a second metaphor, and he actually, it's interesting, he talks about himself as young children, and I wish I could explore that metaphor with you, but I'm going to go to the one that's found in the beginning of, uh, the end of verse 7, and he says, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. And so the second metaphor we have here is, as pastors and church leaders, we must understand that we have been called to a deep mother love for our congregations. I don't think that there's a stronger picture of love anywhere in the world than the picture of love for a mother, that the mother has for her children. We all know the anguish of a mother who has lost a child it wrenches our hearts to see mothers agonizing over the loss of a child. And I got to say something right now that's a little bit off topic, but it is on top of mind. I can't help thinking about and praying about this every day. And the pictures that we're seeing every day of mothers and children, some of them be sent by their mothers to safety in another country while they stayed back to care for their elderly parents. And the travesty and the horror of what's going on in Ukraine right now. 
And the church needs to speak. And the church needs to call on God to invade and stop this madness. And to use the voice of the psalmists when they call out people who are opposed to good God and anything that is ethical and moral like we're seeing now. We all know the horror and pain of what it is to see a mother lose a child or a father. And so Paul talks, uses this metaphor and he uses phrases like, he doesn't want to be a burden. He wants to be gentle. He wants to be caring. He, he wants to be a person that shows love. He talks about sharing our very lives. He said, you were dear to us with toil and hardship for you. We work night and day so as not to be a burden. Mother love, sacrifice, hard work, giving her very life to, to her child. This is the picture that we have here of a pastor. And by the way, there's a little side note here. How does a mom feel when one of her children is rude or abusive or critical or negative? How does a mom feel? It's devastating, right? It's horribly destructive. And the same is, heart, same is true with, with a pastor who has the heart and passion of what a pastor needs to be. I remember being verbally tacked at the door one, one Sunday after a service. This guy came after me. I, I can't remember the issue, but... And, I, and the pain was evident and obvious on my face. And then he said, Pastor, you got to develop thick skin. And I think one of the wisest things I've ever said, <laughs> which is not very many times, but one of the wisest things I ever said was, the day I do, sir, is the day that I am finished in ministry. task of pastoring is not a job, Pastor Ellen. It's not even a profession. Yes, we get our education, we pass our ordination exams, but it's a calling, it's a passion, it's a selling of the soul. It is a giving ourselves love to a congregation. Yes, we need to be competent and prepared and have gifts and talents, but it's an expending of life. It goes way beyond what most of us can imagine. So Pastor Ellen, groom that mother love in care in your heart, as I know you do, and I know your congregation knows. And congregation, understand, embrace, protect, and nurture that mother love and care that your pastor and your church leaders bring to you. So first, metaphor, steward of the gospel. We knows, he knows the master, he knows the message, he knows accountability of the church. There's a second metaphor, that mother love, a deep love for the congregation, deeply sacrificing for the congregation, deeply vulnerable to abuse and rudeness. And then the third picture, and it comes down in verse, actually verse 11, for you know that we dealt with you, each of you, as a father deals with his own children and pastors and church leaders, we must understand that we have, we have been called to intense father love and Father, care for our congregation. As a father, as so many good fathers are. And he tells us the word to model the values and virtues. He said, we, we lived among you holy, righteous, and blameless. 
Look at those words, Pastor Allen, every other pastor in this congregation. Look at those words, holy, righteous, and blameless. That is the model we are to, that we are to follow through. A fundamental moral and ethical purity and integrity that guards our lives. We've got far too many fails in this domain that we have to keep recovering from. Pastor Allen, the rest of the pastors and elders and deacons and ministry shepherds, here you are called to these father care values of holiness, righteousness, and blamelessness, and the church is called to expect these things to be lived out by us. But church, you too are expected to embrace these values. We don't just live these kinds of things as some kind of elitist group. We live these things out as a model for others and the congregations to follow. So first, as fathers, we're called to model the values and virtues of God's kingdom. And secondly, we are learned we are to be engaged in father care. Look at the words that describe him in this text. He uses words like encouraging, comforting, urging. These are terms of endearment, terms of grace, terms of love. So that, and look at the goals, that you might live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Eugene Peterson talks about tells a story of traveling with a friend when they stopped for gas. And the attendant, it was obviously not a self-serve gas station, uh, asked his friend what he did for a living. And Peterson's friend replied, I'm a pastor. I run a church. Huh. That did not sit well with Mr. Peterson. And he writes, I run a church myself. I have for over 20 years. I try to do it well. But I do it in the same spirit that I, along with my wife, run our house. There are many things that we routinely do, often, but not always, with joy. But running a house is not what we do. What we do is we build a home. We develop a marriage. We, re- we raise children. We practice hospitality. We pursue lives of work and play. There's no running of a church in any of this. No CEO status or power plays. Rather, we find the pictures of stewardship, accountability, care, nurture, sacrifice, gentle discipline, wisdom as a steward, as a mother, and as a father. So what do we take away from all of this? First of all, we have an encounter with God and Christ's kingdom. Paul, through the Holy Spirit, is pointing us to the God way to the Jesus way, to a theology of pastoring, a God-driven perspective and model, and this is a radical encounter with God as we seek to do in the church that is not done anywhere else in the world. Secondly, there's amazing good news here. This is what the church of Jesus Christ is all about. Humility, grace, servanthood, love, care, moral and ethical purity. Who wouldn't want to be part of all of this? There's nothing else like it in the world. It is all wrapped around Jesus, and we get to invite people to become part of something like the things that we have just talked about from this text. There's a worldview shift here. 
Some of us might have to think a whole lot differently about what this is all about. Maybe we, maybe we are the ones who, maybe, hmm, I'm not quite sure about this. Maybe we need to reorient ourselves into a biblical model of pastoral care that maybe we've drifted from. The church is in a whole different category than anything else in the world in terms of its metric, met, metrics, its governance, its mission, its values, its leadership. And it's time to get back to biblical models and metaphors of pastoral ministry. This is the Jesus way. This is the kingdom of Jesus way. What is our response? You know what? I shared with the elders, every time I go through this passage, I'm challenged, encouraged, convicted. What this means to each of us, I really can't tell each of you how to respond to this. I just say, listen, if there's something that the Holy Spirit has spoken to you about, just take it, brace it, take it to the Lord in prayer, allow the Spirit to move in our lives and yield to that Spirit and pray for grace to respond appropriately. Someone once asked, once asked, why do mountain climbers tie themselves together? Kind of an odd question. And the answer? To keep the sane ones from going home. A number of years ago, you tied yourselves together as pastor and people. And I hope that your tying together t- is not an act of insanity. Or maybe it is, because the kingdom of God is an upside-down world. And you just ordained your pastor, or going to in just a moment. I signed the documents, by the way, so they're all, all good. Your pastor is now a reverend. Be sure you call him that, reverend. Maybe a bow. <laughs> Natalie, you have a reverend as your husband now. Look out. I will say to you, if anything changes in his behavior because of this, call me. I will do an intervention. You gotta, you gotta know that that is the worst description of any of us who are ordained. And anybody who plays that card ought to have their ordination revoked. But, congratulations, Pastor Allen. Congratulations, Bethel. You have bound yourselves together, <laughs> perhaps as an act of insanity, but perhaps because of it, it's, it's an upside-down world. And so may God bless pastor and people here as you seek to be the visible and audible witness and testimony of Roy, Southern Ontario, Southwestern Ontario, Canada, and the world. God bless you all.